electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'm going to make friends. I'm just trying to help you save money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, and put crazy days like this into some context. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Look, this market is actually starting to remind me of the old days when I got in the business. When companies valued in the tens of billions could report great numbers and see their stocks soar rather than being ignored as they have been for the last decade. Meanwhile, the big cap tech stocks, those that are worth hundreds of billions of dollars that have captivated the market investor for so long, for so many years, are now fading into the background or plummeting back to earth. Giving sellers the cash they need to buy something better and, yes, more consistent. Fund managers are now buying stocks of reasonably valued companies that make things turn a profit and return those profits to shareholders via dividends or buybacks. They've gone to the endodontist and had Fang pulled, sadly, without Novocaine and replaced them with something maybe longer lasting. What is today's action to Dow full of those prosaic, solid companies that make things, do stuff, pay dividends, buy back stock, gained 194 points? S&P 500 shed 0.61%, but the NASDAQ, which has the least exposure to the shareholder-friendly contingent, it tumbled 1.63%. As someone who has been uncomfortable since November of last year with the endless amount of stock-based compensation from these tech firms and their often reckless disregard for shareholders' money, you know what? I'm kind of delighted by the market's new attitude. For roughly a decade, this market was dominated by FANG. Yes, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Now we've no longer hostage to this group. And honestly, it's a huge improvement, even as I will tell you my trust still owns some of these, because now, at this point, it sure seems too late to sell. The high-growth concept stocks were great as long as interest rates stayed low and dreams soared high. They worked when they could beat the estimates and because numbers would rise. 
We were willing to overlook all sorts of quirks and shenanigans to say nothing of their hubris. Why not? Their stocks kept winning to the point where they became the puppet masters. The averages were just dolls dancing on the end of their strings. Well, that is over, too. Now that Microsoft and Alphabet have stalled, while Meta platforms, the old Facebook, flames out in spectacular fashion. Just after the close, Amazon reported some dismal results, missing the estimates on really every line item, including Amazon Web Services. Their cloud business, we were just there, seemed pretty good. Worse, they gave you a horrible forecast for the next quarter. If anyone was wondering whether the cloud was in its fifth or sixth inning of growth, these results say it might be in the seventh inning stretch. Let's just hope they're lowballing us with their forecast. Otherwise, it sure seems like they think Jay Powell has already thrown us into a nasty recession. Hey, look, it even Apple had some issues, and it is giving a forecast that's not perfect. We're going to assess that in a moment. But that one kind of felt like old home week for a virtual family reunion when compared to its former brethren. So now that the tech titans have been overthrown, what's replacing them? What are people looking at? Or are they just throwing their hands up and saying, listen, I don't know what to do without my alphabet? Okay. Our new leaders are companies that genuinely regard their shareholders as owners. Novel, very unlike Silicon Valley. These companies have taken out endless layers of costs over the years, and they've still got plenty of organic demand they can wrench profits from. Why don't we start with the most counterintuitive yet also most obvious winning group right now so far in the quarter, fossil fuels. While the price of crude is down more than 30 bucks from its highs, it's also more than doubled over the past couple of years. More importantly, the oils have become some of the most value-oriented companies on Earth. They now hate spending money and love sending the cash to you, the shareholders. And that's why Chevron, Exxon, Devon Energy, Pioneer, Natural Resources, they offer extraordinary dividends along with often generous buybacks. Now, of course, they're the antithesis of FANG. And by the way, they are valued clients of Caterpillar. Another winner whom we will speak to later in the show. Meanwhile, guess what? The coal stocks. Okay, I know you don't want them. I don't want anyone coal to be winning. But the coal stocks are booming. Why? Because so many European environmentalists got their nuclear, they shut their nuclear plants. They shut their natural gas plants. Now there's an energy shortage. So what do they have to go back to? The worst of the worst. The dirtiest of fuel, coal. That's how we get these upside surprises from Norfolk Southern, the East Coast Railroad that had great things to say about the coal business. Huge win for the customers. Console, Ed, Energy, Alpha, Metallurgical Resources, Peabody, Energy, Arts Resources. I haven't looked at these things in years, but they've been exploding to the upside. I don't want them to. I don't want them to. But that doesn't matter, does it? Second leadership group is healthcare. Have you ever had the good fortune to reach Medicare age? I can tell you it's not as good as top-notch employer-sponsored insurance. That means you need a supplement, like the ones provided by United Health Group or Humana my provider, that's become a semi-permanent denizen of the new high list. UNH is a Dow stock, which matters because the Dow's having its best month in ages. Think about that. Dow, best month in ages. NASDAQ, terrible. Healthcare also includes the drug stocks, some of the best performers out there. Merck now reminds me of the old St. Merck, which is what we called it in the 1990s, when it could do no wrong. This time its strength is its cancer franchise, led by Keytruda, which may go down as one of the best-selling drugs of all times. Bristol-Myers feels implacable again with its cardio and oncological specialties. Johnson Johnson's breaking up. But in the interim, all the divisions are on fire. Why are we on it for the trust? Pfizer's a COVID-infused drug or not, and our favorite trust stock, Eli Lilly, is best in show. With the terrific diabetes franchise, and by the way, that doubles as the world's safest, I think, but hasn't been approved for full use, weight loss drug. Yeah, that's going to be... An amazing drug, given how obesity is among the biggest killers. Drugs of godsend. How about the third leadership group? 
We don't spend enough time pondering the lasting psychological damage from the pandemic, which kept us locked up doing nothing. Now that COVID's receded, everybody's eager to travel again, either to see the world or catch up with their friends, go to weddings. And we've got more time to travel thanks to so many businesses embracing a work-from-home model. And that's why I like United Air and Delta. It's why I think American Express got a raw, raw deal the other day to report. It's why Boeing, as I said last night, is going to work. These are misunderstood worth buying stocks. Fourth, we've got a huge conventional war going in Ukraine. You can't fight a war without, yes, weapons. That means the strength in Lockheed Martin, General Dynamic, Northrop Grumman, and my favorite, L3 Harris. Every time one of these defense contractors reports there's tremendous skepticism, yet their skeptics get their heads handed to them. Because they don't understand a conventional land war requires a lot more hardware than fighting poorly armed insurgents in the Middle East. If the Biden administration wants to play for a win, not a tie, then you got to own Raytheon. Yes, their Patriot missiles can shoot down. Fifth leadership group, the food and beverage space. Remember them? They have been fantastic this season. PepsiCo told us the commodity headwinds will turn into tailwinds next year. In the interim, I'm impressed with both Coke and Pepsi for putting up double-digit growth. The best of breathing group is General Mills. Reported earlier in the quarter was a thing of beauty with real strength in its cereal line and also in Blue Buffalo Pet Food. By the way, we have Unilever later in the show. That's a good one, too. And you know that I think Procter & Gamble, one of my favorite stocks in the trust, is going to have a great 2023. Of course, not not everything in tech is untouchable. When Apple reported after the close, their technological prowess delivered, allowed them to deliver a nice top and bottom line beat, strength even in China. Now, uh, we were constantly told that nobody cared about the iPhone uh, phone 14, yet the new phones are supply-constrained all over the world. Almost every single line item was better than expected. We're discovering that once an iPhone buyer, always an iPhone buyer, with all the accoutrements, the wearables, the services that come with it, there are 900 million Apple subscribers of some sort, which makes every other subscription service out there look pitiful, including Netflix, by the way, with 223 million members. Plus, Apple's component costs are coming down, makes for better times ahead, although nothing would be more beneficial than a weaker dollar, something that looks like I think could happen. Now, some will say that the iPhone was weaker. I can get that. And uh, by the way, it, it, remember, it was high, high capacity constraint. And some will definitely grumble about service slowdown. All right, niggling. I think nitpicking. There could be some relation to China lockdowns. And the CFO, of course, threw some cold water on the next quarter. But you know what? That's what they do. You see, they're cautious and they have no hubris. Why was Apple able to buck the gloom of Silicon Valley? Because unlike the other big tech outfits that are in cyclical decline, either from the moribund PC business or the advertising meltdown, Apple's superior technology attracts new people with each iPhone iteration. Meanwhile, their management team has a much better understanding of what the customers actually want than many of the others in its former cohort. That's why I always say, own Apple, don't trade it. Oh, go ahead, trade it. Go ahead, see if you can get back and get in and get back. Good luck to you. The bottom line is that big tech stocks are getting crushed because the underlying companies are struggling. The market's finally in Fed-mandated slowdown mode, where what works are the recession-resistant stocks of profitable companies that tend to be pretty generous with their shareholders. These are the new leaders for now, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. The new leadership group can get us through this, but Fang Tech, well, right now I prefer a root canal or maybe two or three until they've sorted out the mess in this new world where you have to fire people, you have to have discipline, and you have to lose the hubris entirely. Let's go to Claire in Utah. Claire. Yeah, Jim. 
I want to increase my holdings in John Deere. Is now a good time to do that? Absolutely. Deere's going to have a remarkable quarter, and we're in a feed-the-world moment. Deere's last quarter, people didn't like. They don't know what they're doing. This is a secular growth story. This is the way tech used to be. And by the way, do they have a lot of tech in Deere? I think it's terrific. Second only to Caterpillar, which is on the show later tonight. Big tech stocks keep getting crushed. Well, because the underlying companies are struggling here. It makes sense. Hey, it can change. 2023 beckons. What works are the recession-resistant stocks of profitable companies that tend to be pretty generous with their shareholders. And yes, the resource stocks, if it has to do with oil. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, Uliar is behind some of your favorite brands. And after earnings, could it become one of your favorite investments? I'm checking in with the CEO. Then, with tech seemingly out of favor on the street, is it time to turn to an industrial like Caterpillar? I'm talking to the CEO. T-Mobile reported after the bell. So is it time to dial into that stock? I'm digging into the report with the company's top brass. And not all technology is bad. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. As I said at the top of the show, we may be headed for the golden age 
of the consumer packaged goods stocks. These are companies with great brands that can maintain market share even in a Fed-mandated slowdown. And they also become a lot more profitable when commodity costs inevitably come down. Take Unilever. This morning, the European Food and Consumer Products Powerhouse reported what I thought was a magnificent quarter. 18% revenue growth, organic sales growth up more than 10%. They've raised prices by 12.5% in these higher prices. Well, they're sticking because these are premium brands. Plus, management raised their full-year organic sales growth forecast substantially. We know the insanely strong dollar is terrible for American companies, but it's fabulous for a British company like Unilever. In the end, the stock still got dinged because management talked about volume contraction in the current quarter and said cost pressures could continue into next year. The revenue growth was very encouraging, though. I bet the costs start going in the right direction. And by the way, I sure like that dividend. Do not take it from me. Earlier today, we had a chance to speak with Alan Job. He's the CEO of Unilever. Take a look at this. Mr. Job, thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. I'll say from the very beginning, your brands, your powerhouse brands, your billion-dollar brands seem to be on fire. Uh, what is determining why you have such great strength in your major products? Hi, Jim. Please call me Alan. Um, yeah, Unilever has posted another good quarter of double-digit growth, and we've raised our guidance uh, to about, above 8%. You're quite right. Um, half our sales now come from our billion euro brands, and those grew at 14%. And uh, I think we're discovering that in uh, inflationary times, brands that you've invested in product quality, you've invested in marketing, you've concentrated your innovation on those brands, they hold up really well because the volumes are pretty solid, too. Now, Alan, historically, we were taught in economics class that people trade down. What I've seen this quarter, and you did kind of mention briefly, but that when you have these brands that have great trust, there really is very little trade down. And that's very important because it's counterintuitive. You're onto something here. Uh, it's so counterintuitive, people have a hard time believing it, but let me give you some data around it. 35% of Unilever's portfolio is in premium segments, 50% in the middle of the market, and 15% is in the more affordable offerings. And we are seeing zero trade down. In fact, the premium parts of our business are growing faster than the rest of the portfolio. Uh, things like our luxury beauty, uh, health and well-being. And uh, I think... Uh, Part of the reason is this is an economic slowdown that is accompanied by high employment, unlike low employment uh, slowdowns that we've seen in the past. And things have to get pretty bad before families stop using uh, soap and uh, shampoo. I want to just drill down to something you said about China. Uh, I think that when you wear a mask all the time, your skin care needs to get uh, better. And yet I was surprised. The only downline I saw in your whole whole portfolio was the possibility that there is a slowdown a bit in China because of the lockdowns. Could you explain to me why that is, given the fact that your products are so good when you're locked up and you're trying to keep yourself clean? Sure. So let's keep it in context. Our business in China still grew in the last quarter, uh, just under 2%. Maybe the best way to illustrate it is one of our major customers has 4,000 stores in China. Uh, at any point in time, they're telling me that 400 of them are locked down or closed. Oh. It's never the same 400. And so uh, if you think about that, the, the cus- customer mobility is low. People are not out and about. So we still grew, but not by as much as we could. And I think if that 400 stores all reopen, there's another 10% of growth to be had in China. Excellent. Now, uh, you uh, go to great lengths to talk about how 
Uh, next year may not be a great year for commodities. Uh, PepsiCo disagrees. Uh, Proctor disagrees. They're talking about maybe two, uh, 2023, where uh, things that are headwinds go to tailwinds. Uh, are you being conservative on that, given the fact that others in your industry think that 2023 could be a fulcrum year when it comes to some of these commodities? Jim, early in 2021, we started to call inflation. We started acting on it sooner than our peers, and we've been well served by that. We are very sure that there will be inflationary pressures into early 2023 for our basket of commodities that we buy about 2 billion euros. It is not some kind of conservatism. It's based on the fundamental structural movement of things like agricultural uh, markets. And so we're very sure that we are quite some way from deflationary pressures emerging. Understood. Uh, Your categories, uh, the way I read through uh, how Unilever works, it's always been a great mystery. I used to get up at 2.30 to listen to the conference call. And I did that because you had so many different divisions, so many different line items, even smaller brands. You talked about things that were up to that were $100 million. Um, you've decided to simplify. I now find I can get up at 4 and understand your company. Why did you do this? Did you recognize that it was just too darn hard to understand? You know, uh, yes, that is partly true. Um, We've operated in a matrix structure for a couple of decades. Uh, Matrices have got some advantages, but they are not known for nimbleness. And with the clock speed of the world, we wanted to move to a simpler organization. We're organizing around five business groups. We think it'll make us faster. It'll make us quicker at deploying resources in line with strategy. And it makes accountability crystal clear. I've got uh, five throats to choke and very clear uh, who's accountable for what. Uh, the reason, one of the reasons why you did that is because there's another man who understood the five throats to choke, which is uh, Nelson Peltz. I, he is very instrumental, I think, when he, when he was at Proctor. Has he been helpful at all to you in trying to get more accountability? Nelson's turning out to be a great uh, board member. I'm thoroughly enjoying working with him. He tells me he's thoroughly enjoying uh, working with me. He's pushing on us to, we designed the organization that we've moved to before he uh, arrived, but he's pushing us hard to make sure we get the maximum benefit from it. Uh, He likes this type of structure. And uh, he also is encouraging us to stay focused on growth and to make sure we have a strong premium component in our portfolio. Um, Those are some of the, the, the pushes that he's giving us, but great board member. All right, and then finally, uh, you do have some incredible numbers in personal care, in beauty and well-being, but it's this home care increase that is astounding to me. What products are you uh, producing in home care that clearly are taking share? Home care um, comprises our laundry cleaning products, our laundry care products, and household cleaning, and they've been particularly hit by the increase in petrochemical commodities. And so we've had to pass along a very high amount of pricing in that division. Now, it's a, it's a category where we enjoy very, very strong market leadership positions um, in the emerging markets of the world. We're not particularly strong in the US uh, or Europe, but we're very strong in our positions in the emerging markets. And we have strong portfolios, and we're able to use those portfolios to pass along price. And so far, the health of our big brands, brands like Omo, um, are good enough, and uh, we've invested also in product quality. And at the end of the day, she can tell when the product is uh, of high quality. And remember, value is a function of price times quality, not right. just price. 
Well, Mr. Job, I've got to tell you, I wish we had more time together. We didn't get to discuss Hellman's, my absolute favorite. Alan Job, CEO of Unilever. Really great to meet you, sir. Thank you so much for coming on Man Money. Thanks, Jim. He's changing this company. Thank you, sir. Man Money's back here. Coming up, Kramer's in the catbird seat. We're hauling the heavy machinery on Mad Money. Next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card. This earnings season, we have seen a huge disparity between the classic industrials, the real economy plays, as I talked about at the top of the show, and the mega cap tech stocks that once dominated the market for so long. The industrials know how to handle a downturn. They know how to tighten their belts and stay focused on delivering the best earnings possible, even in tough situations. The big tech firms thought they were immune to downturns, and once they realized that that was no longer the case, it was too late. While big tech has been crushed this week, Caterpillar, iconic machinery maker, saw its stock soar nearly 8% today in response to a tremendous quarter. Just a monster top and bottom line beat. On top of that, Madden said next quarter would be even better, with demand staying strong across all segments and margin improvement on the way as price hikes will more than offset any cost pressures they face. The results, I think, frankly, they were simply stunning. So let's dig deeper with Jim Umpleby, the chairman and CEO of Caterpillar. Find out more about the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Umpleby, I'm so glad you're on today. Welcome to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Great to see you again. All right. So, Jim, I want to be philosophic right at the top. I typically am not. But you once told me who owned your company. You told me it was the shareholders. You told me you worked for them. You told me you were done with the episodic good and bad, that you were going to give consistent returns, you're going to do it over time, and you weren't even going to be levered just to China. You had other markets. Everything you said has come true. How is it possible? Well, thank you, Jim. You know, I'm very proud of our global Caterpillar team and our dealers around the world as well as they worked in the third quarter to meet strong customer demand. Our top line was up 21%, and we saw double-digit increases in all three of our primary business segments. Sales were up in all regions of the world, even though we're still dealing with some pockets of supply chain challenge. Now, in your release and in your great conference call, I kept waiting for someone to say, 
It's going to be the end of Caterpillar when they start raising rates too much. It just seems like a combination of smarts, of technology, and knowing your customer has made it so that that's no longer the kind of sink or swim thing that we're going to get from Caterpillar. Well, thanks, Jim. You know, certainly we're not immune from global macroeconomic conditions and we monitor it closely. But one of the things that was a key element of our strategy that we introduced in 2017 was a competitive and flexible cost structure. And our team has demonstrated the ability to produce much more consistent free cash flows. And 2020 is a great example. Even though we saw more than a 20% decline in our top line that year due to uh, uh, the pandemic, we still produce very healthy free cash flow. So as, as you say, as we look forward to the fourth quarter, we're expecting uh, sales growth again in all three of our primary segments. And uh, we're also expecting that, that sales growth compared to its year-over-year sales growth and also sequential sales growth. So again, we're very excited about what we see happening. Well, well I'm not impressed anymore with technology companies overseas, out west. A lot of them just seem to be interested in uh, stock-based compensation for themselves. When I look at what you're doing, you're the house of technology. I actually think that Caterpillar, your machines, are technologically superior to others, which allows you to maintain price despite the strong dollar. Well, we are investing significantly in technology in a whole variety of areas. You know, one of the things we told our investors in May at our investor day is we have an area called ACE, which includes autonomy, alternative fuels, uh, digitization, electrification. We're investing in those areas. And a great example is our autonomous mining trucks, which you and I had an opportunity to speak about before. Uh, You know, we're very pleased at the traction we're getting there. We believe we reached a tipping point with mining customers where at, at the moment, mining customers only need about 10 to 15 trucks for it to make sense to make the capital investment to have an autonomous mining site. And so we're very excited about that opportunity. Our customers have told us that it increases productivity in their mines by as much as 30% compared to the best man site. So again, very excited about the investments we're making in, in digital connectivity, AI, and all the rest. So you're right, investing in technology really is a key to our future success. And it all comes down to providing more value to our customers. We know that's how we earn our keep. And so again, we're investing heavily for the future. Well, I know all the oil folks love you. Uh, I've been dealing with the railroads of late because I happen to think they're just great American companies. Coal has come back. Now, coal I wrote off a long time ago, Jim. It's because of the environment. But if you're going to mine coal and be in coal, you have to be with Caterpillar, don't you? Well, you know, we, we provide mining equipment for a whole variety of commodities. And one of the things that we're very excited about looking forward is the opportunities presented by the energy transition. Uh, we believe that the energy, transbi- uh, the energy transition is actually expanding our total addressable market. So you stop, think about an EV. It requires six times as many minerals as a conventional internal combustion engine automobile. And of course, we provide the equipment that allows our mining customers to produce that increased commodity. So if you look at the projections by the auto- automobile companies, in terms of the shift from internal combustion engines to EVs, that will require a, a massive increase in basic commodities, of course, which we're very well positioned to, to provide to our customers that capability. I think there's a misperception in Washington, particularly among Democrats, that the oil companies don't care about the environment. I really, I really feel that, and I wish it weren't the case. But if they're going to be uh, better citizens for the environment. They need Caterpillar. Tell me what you're doing in terms of with resources in the oil and gas area to make them so that they're more compliant and better about the environment. We've been investing heavily both organically in product development and also through some acquisitions. 
to help our oil and gas customers reduce their carbon footprint as they produce oil and gas. And I'll give you a number of examples there. We've done things like uh, we have e-fracking now. We've invested in technology that allows our customers to more efficiently operate, which reduces the amount of fuel they use as they produce oil and gas, which of course reduces emissions. Of course, there's a lot of focus now, of course, on natural gas, particularly LNG, and Caterpillar plays across a wide portion of that natural gas value chain. Our engines are used for drilling, uh, our reciprocating engines drive reciprocating gas compressors for gas gathering near the wellhead. Uh, we're we're even more involved than ever in well servicing, and again, have, have added technology there to allow our customers to reduce their carbon footprint in that activity, and also our solar gas turbine, turbines driving solar centrifugal natural gas compressors compress gas down the pipelines. So again, we believe that we are part of the solution. They're helping our oil and gas customers. Uh, I'm glad you're going to let in. I want people to know that. Final question. The federal government out of nowhere has decided to create caterpillar bills, so to speak. You cannot. Are you able to meet the demand of, of even some of these federal programs that very much need caterpillar earth movers? The, the, the kind of just the basic caterpillar. Are you able to meet the demand that we're going to be having? Well, we're very focused at working with our suppliers to meet that demand, and, and we are excited about the opportunities we see in what we call non-residential construction. We expect that activity to strengthen in the fourth quarter, and we think there's great opportunities there. As you say, those government investments uh, will occur regardless, I believe, of what happens with interest rates. So again, we're working very hard to position ourselves to meet that future demand. Well, Jim, congratulations. I love it when a guy comes on, makes promises, and then over-delivers on things that I never thought you could do. Jim Mumpleby, Caterpillar Chairman and CEO. Sir, it is so great to see you. Congratulations. Thank you, Jim. Good to see you. Everybody's back there for the break. Coming up, when it comes to your money, is it time to think pink? Coverage continues with T-Mobile on Mad Money. the stock of T-Mobile Go. Tonight, the wireless carrier reported a robust quarter, a modest revenue miss, coupled with a 10-cent earnings beat off a 30-cent basis. More importantly, just like ATT, they're running circles around Verizon, adding 854,000 postpaid phone subscribers, key metric this quarter, when the analysts were only looking for 739,000, biggest K in the group. In fact, it's more than ATT and Verizon combined. Extra impressive when you remember that T-Mobile's got the smallest customer base. Even better, they're getting costs under control, and they've raised their full-year subscriber forecast. Plus, they got this mammoth $14 billion buyback. So let's check in with Mike Sievert, the president and CEO of T-Mobile U.S., to learn more. Mr. Sievert, welcome back to Mad Money. It's a pleasure to be here, Jim. All right, so, Mike, both of your competitors went on their calls, and they said the price increases helped them raise revenues and that the churn that resulted was only temporary. Are you missing an opportunity here by keeping your prices low? You know, it's interesting. We saw all this unfolding over the summer and just it looked to us like a total repeat of the carrier, uncarrier story we've been seeing for so long. You know, the bottom line is that every time our competitors over the last years have seen an opportunity to grab some money, they've done that. And they used inflation as an excuse to jack price increases on their customers while they're stuck in device contracts and could do nothing about that. Now, it's interesting. You look at it and say, well, churn will be elevated for a minute and then it'll be all fine is sort of the sentiment. But our mindset is just different about that. You know, when they carrier, we uncarrier. And our two cents on it is that what's at stake here is the brand, 
the long-term covenant that you have with your customers. And what we believe in is that if we put customers first and treat them right and change the rules in this industry in their favor, they'll trust us and they'll pick us. And to your point, this quarter, they picked us on Postpaid more than AT&T and Verizon combined. They also, I mean, I want to be sure about this, but my understanding of Postpaid phone churn 0.88, you may be the only operator to improve over what I think is an incredibly important metric this year. We are the only one improving. And by the way, 0.88 is eight basis points lower than a year ago, the only year-over-year improvement. And it's lower than Verizon for the second quarter in a row. And Jim, notably, that blended postpaid churn includes Sprint. Years ago, you know, people asked us, are you catching a falling knife? Those guys are losing hundreds of thousands of customers every half year. How's that ever going to work out? Highest churn in the industry. And it turns out Sprint customers are no different. If you just love them and give them a great value and a great network, they'll stick around. All right. Now, I want to understand in the conference call, there's been some little, I think, uh, nuance that I got to get right. Um, the reports, the way I read it, is not true. But you were saying that phone subscriber growth is moderating. I read that as not your growth is moderating, but for some it's moderating. I don't know, just fill me in here on this, will you? Well, you sum up all the net ads in the industry. And, you know, it's a vibrant, growing industry. But it's a little bit more muted than, you know, this sort of exuberance that people had. And what we, we've been telling people for quarters and quarters is when it moderates, who's going to come out on top will be T-Mobile. Because unlike our competitors, we have a viable, sustainable growth strategy with all kinds of underpenetrated segments. You know, we're still only a 10, 11, 12 share in business. In smaller markets and rural areas, we're only a 15 share. I mean, the only reason why we're number two nationwide is smaller markets and rural areas, because we're number one in New York, L.A., Chicago, Houston, Miami, etc. And so we have huge underpenetrated segments to get after. And by the way, even in those big markets where we're the leader, we got here by not being able to win the network seekers. A lot of people still wonder if we've got the best network because brands are stubborn. And so we're actually starting now to win network seekers and prime customers in the big markets where we're already the leader. All right, but what are you seeing about inflation in the economy? Uh, lots of companies are guiding down, showing a lot of caution. People are getting very worried. A lot of Seattle companies starting to not do so well. Give me a, give me a feel for the economy and what can and, and can't be charged. And if you want to, you can also throw in what you're doing with, uh, uh, with high-speed Internet customers. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, customers are concerned and inflation is on the rise. Um, and a lot of companies are obviously changing their outlooks as a result. We're not. You know, obviously, we're here to meet the moment where customers need us most, and we're uh, competent at dealing with customers with variable economic st- circumstances. We always have been, and we will help them work through if they can't pay their bills. So far, we're not seeing it. In fact, bad debt levels are on par with pre-pandemic levels in 19, and 19 was our best year in a long time. So we're not seeing it. We're watching for it. We're not seeing what we are seeing is the beginnings of a flight to value. Look, this category is essential. It's not like the 0809 recession. You know, this cat, no one's going to want to live without their mobile phone, but they might start asking themselves, do I have the right provider? Like on broadband, where we charge $50 and zero cents. And this quarter, we racked up more net ads than AT&T, Verizon, Comcast and Charter combined. All right, we're going to leave it right there. Mike, once again, congratulations on a good quarter. Always love it when you come on Mad Money. Mike Sievers, president and CEO of T-Mobile, TMUS. Good to see you, sir. You bet. Great to see you. All right, Mad Money's back after the break. 
Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a Fastfire Lightning Round, next. It is time. It's up to the Lightning Round. So, Mr. Rolls Royce, I'm going to tell you about my buddy, I'm playing this out. And then the Lightning Round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the Lightning Round. Kramer, remind us to start with Bob in Michigan. Bob. Hi. Uh... I bought Warner Brothers Discovery at 1380 later uh, this uh, spring, and I got disillusioned with management. So I sold my shares the day before yesterday at 1361 as a loss of $0.19 cents a share. What's okay. your opinion of Warner Brothers Discovery long term? Oh, okay, I need to see them make some money. As I've said over and over, and it's really helped our viewers, I'm not recommending stocks that are losing money. It's tough to recommend stocks that are like Amazon. I can't recommend money losers. Daryl in Louisiana. Daryl. Booyah. Who that, Jim? How's it going? It's, it's going well. How about you? Good, sir. I have a question about, uh, shoot, I, I don't forgot now. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's about Jamar Chase and the wrecking of my fantasy team. Now, that's <laughs> probably all based there. Mm-hmm. How about uh, Getty Holdings, G-E-T-Y? Oh, Getty Holdings. All right, now, look, Getty Holdings is very hard to understand because it came public. There was a big short squeeze and went up way too high. And now it's all the way too low, and it's not a bad company. I think down here in four, I'm not a SPAC guy, okay? But this one may be um, actually worth looking at. Holy cow. I can't believe I just said that about a SPAC. Let's go to Jason in Illinois. Jason. Hey, Jim. Long-time viewer, first-time caller. Appreciate everything you do, and uh, congrats on the I'm sorry. Oh, thanks a lot. But anyway, wanted to talk to you about CLF, even clips. Yeah, you know, the quarter wasn't that good. And the company tried to say it wasn't as cyclical as it turned out to be. And as far as I'm concerned, once you get to 13 level, you're not going to stop right there. It's going to go even lower. That's why I continue to prefer Nucor, better company. All right, we're not done. We're taking Perros in California. Perros. Yeah, hi, Jim. Uh, thanks for taking hi. my call. I really appreciate of it. Of course. Um, so as a GARP and momentum investor, I wanted to get your opinion on a healthcare stock that is showing great technical momentum and a fantastic pipeline for drugs in the diabetes, kidney disease, and sickle cell disease space. It has currently a PE ratio of 25, and it has a great balance sheet. What are your thoughts okay. on BRTX, Vertex Pharmaceuticals? Vertex, ever since what they've done with Cystic for Brokers, I have been behind that company. Sometimes it's painful to be behind them, but I say stay with it. I think it's a really, really well-run company. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the... Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, fortune favors the brands. The home and security story that can help secure your residence and your financial future. Next. Jim Kramer, the diehard of the dollar. Hey, Jimmy, love the show. My five-year-old grandson loves to watch your show. I have to thank you for making us money when it's there to be made. Our world is a better place with you in it.
there anything that's worth owning in the housing-related space? Look, the whole group's been hit hard, but eventually the Fed will declare victory in its war on inflation, and these stocks will come roaring back. Take Fortune Brands Innovations, the new name for the supplier of cabinets, plumbing products, and security systems that used to be known as Fortune Brands Home Security. They're changing the name as part of the broader restructuring because they plan, they got to, this is such a great idea, they're going to spin off their cabinet business as an independent company. That business is doing surprisingly well. Now, last night, Fortune Brands reported a difficult quarter. After to uh, spend more time on it. Slight revenue miss, coupled with a 7-cent earnings beat off a $1.72 basis. Management cut their full-year forecast. Let's look into that, too. Yet the stock actually rallied today, which makes me wonder if the negativity isn't all baked in. So let's take a closer look with Nick Fink, the CEO of Fortune Brands Innovations, telling more about the quarter and what comes next. Mr. Fink, welcome to Mad Money. Oh, thanks for having me. Well, I've, I've got to tell you, Nick, th- this is an exciting time sure. for your company. You are splitting up. Uh, yes. And I don't want to spend too much time on the actual macro of our country right. because what you're doing may actually transcend some of the macro because there's so much science here. Right. Well, as you said, we've got the separation coming up. And the reason for the separation is we've got a couple great businesses. Cabinet's business is phenomenal. It's really about operational excellence, right? And those guys will be here uh, hopefully sometime this year, getting the thing off to a great start. And the rest of the business is really going to focus on brands and innovation. Hence, the evolution of the name to Fortune Brands Innovation. And so, you know, some of the things here are the innovative products we're, you know, we're bringing to, to life in this world. And well, so, let's, just, let's take a look at something. They're not prosaic anymore. They're technological, and that's important right. because that can make it so it transcends the uh, raw business cycle. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, if you think about how we're going to gear the whole business, Fortune Brands Innovations, it's really going to be focused on the supercharged parts of the, of the business, so things like connected products, right. material science, outdoor living. Like these are trends, to your point, they transcend the everyday cycle, and the things consumers are getting really, really excited about, things they want to replace in their homes, upgrade, expand, and you know, those, are, those, are the, those are the areas where we're going to drive. How much at. will be a do-it-yourself? How much will be professional renovation? How much is right to Toll Brothers and Lenore? You know, we've got big builder business, uh, but we're two-thirds to 75%, depending on the year, R&R. So still a big R&R business. Uh, and a fair chunk of it is do-it-yourself. And then, you know, some things like that, you know, include the pro. Pro has to come in and help you know, install that on the now, it, It's almost impossible to buck the business cycle. And we all read about what's happened with mortgages. And we know that the Fed wants very much to slow the economy. I actually thought that your numbers bucked a lot of that. But maybe these quarters themselves that was just were not as important as what's ahead because the, these two companies are going to look very different. Right. Well, the fundamental backdrop's the same, right? Housing's underbuilt in the U.S. Right. Long run, people are going to need homes. Because of interest rates, there are many down cycles. We pride ourselves, and this is what you saw in the quarter, quarter right. Jim. We pride ourselves on managing the business through the many down cycles for investors. The management team has to know how to do that so we can give people exposure to the growth on the upside. Right, and that's what you saw in the quarter. Right, now we all know Moen. We know it's a great brand, but it's more than that. And I, I myself uh, am negligent to realize that there is more to it, right. uh, a lot more. And I want you to tell us about it. All right, so Moen, you know, historically known, number one uh, plumbing brand in the country, but known, you know, faucets, showerheads. Sure. We've completely updated that. It's really about residential water management. The biggest evolution in plumbing in a couple thousand years since the Romans put it in is adding power and AI and tech to plumbing. And so that device there is the brain of your house. It can algorithmically read what is happening in the home, 
understand water patterns. And if you're going to have a catastrophic gym, uh, leak, Jim, it will shut off the main, right? Water damage is more expensive to insurers than fire and burglary combined. <laughs> right, right, because of mold. And well, mold is the end. When you have mold in your house, if this, if this can stop mold, I want this. I want it tonight. It, it, it will instantaneously take a read, let you know, give you an alert, and if you don't respond, shut it off. Okay. And, you know, you got a fire alarm? Yes, sir. You got a burglar alarm? Yes. But people haven't had a water alarm, like and that. that's the big change. And then uh, a lot of people think the cabinets are all created equal. That can't be, or else you wouldn't have such share. No. Uh, cabinets is about understanding how to drive scale and manufacturing excellence. Right? We've completely simplified the business, and so we're able to bring products to the heart of the market. And, I mean, you saw the numbers yesterday, right? 20% growth right. for the cabinets business. Right. You know, some of the best margins ever. And that's going to continue because we're doing cabinets in a way it hasn't been done before. And I, I was surprised at decking. Everyone else is bad. Your, your decking looks good. We got, we got pretty awesome decks. I mean, you look at some of the star ratings, best in the business, the colors, the innovation. And bringing that business into fortune brands okay. is really a difference maker because we're going to focus on brand. We're going to focus on innovation. We're focusing on the material science. And that's what you're seeing in the, in the decking space. And we're just really well, getting started on I'm, what we're going to do. I'm focusing on how much your company has done for many, many years to help shareholders. Yeah. I remember back in 92 when I first bought my first share of the previous iteration. So I want to thank you so much for coming on. Congratulations on the, on the split. It's really exciting. Nick, it's exciting. That's Nick Fink. He's the CEO of Fortune Brands. Lots of new things here you got to know about. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you. Right here on Mad Money, I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.